to the Generosity Path podcast, a space for global conversations with people from different walks of life about the impact generosity has had on them. It's a place of inspiration, encouragement, and hopefully joy as we hear about the transforming power and potential of generosity to change the world. Welcome, everybody, to the Generosity Path podcast. Um, I'm, my name is J. Paul Frydenmaker. I'm here with the founder of Generosity Path, Daryl Heald, and my good friends, Harry and Dee Dee, Dee Dee Chan and Harry Wind, um, who have become good friends and champions of the Generosity Path movement. They're based in Hong Kong. Guys, it's good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Good to be with you. Harry is the Director of Business Development for UPB Asset Management in Asia and helps develop the institutional client base across Hong Kong and Europe. Um, he did just tell me that he's not traveled since January, which is a remarkably long time for him. Dee Dee is the Managing Director of Park Lane Capital Holdings. It's a single-family office allocating across the spectrum of private and public assets, She's also the director of the Seal of Love Charitable Foundation, focusing on innovative approaches to breaking the poverty cycle in the Asia region. And they are the proud parents of Mochi, who is an awesome little dog that goes crazy whenever I walk into their condo. So <laughs> great to have you guys. Why don't you start just by telling us a little bit about your family and what life is like for you, you there in Hong Kong? Hong Kong, you know, has has been an interesting place to live in the last year and a half or so. Um, we we've been we've been paralyzed a bit longer than most of the world because, you know, as all the news media coverage, you know, sort of showed last year, we were hit by a lot of social unrest. So I feel like we got a little bit of a head start into this new normal that everyone is trying to fit into. Um, you know, we're we're still we're still going to work. We're still doing the best we can with our projects and trying to be a little bit more flexible. Um, you know, with everything that we do. Well, and, and Hong Kong never had really a full lockdown. Hong Kong actually were quite blessed. Everybody's very focused on health, and and so COVID actually never uh, took a took a big hit. So actually, yeah, daily life, yeah, continued more or less, and um, doing quite okay in that sense. So, so just a little bit bit of business context. How is um, uh, business doing in Hong Kong and in the region? Yeah, of, of course, it's, it's impacted. I mean, no, no, no doubt. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of companies, they adapted fairly quickly. Um, I mean, myself, I work for a fairly traditional Swiss company, and I was kind of positively surprised at how quickly they picked up on new technology. I, I was already advocating many years ago, okay, let's start using video calls and stuff, but that was never, um, well, an option. Uh, that was all too fancy and, and not secure, of course, but now they had to, and, and, and uh, they quickly picked it up. Yeah, certain sectors for sure. I mean, of course, travel-related, hospitality, um, restaurants, um, uh, those are big hit of uh, got big hits, of course. But um, but more traditional businesses, yeah, I feel like they adapted fairly quickly. I, I can. I mean, I represent sort of two sides. One is our operational business, which is in the hotel business, and one is from our single-family office allocator 
business, meaning, you know, we were investing in, you know, uh, a sort of diversified set of uh, investments. And from the hotel side, it's been terrible because tourism is just impossible. So everyone in the hotel industry here in Hong Kong has been, um, has had to be very creative with staycations. Uh, but we we were among the first movers to take 14-day quarantine guests, and that saved us a little bit. On the investment side, actually, uh, things have been super busy this year because everyone's in town. No one's traveling. We're all captive audiences. The fund managers um, who have already established relationships with uh, with investors are are doing quite well because there's trust built. The ones who are newer, who want to establish new relationships, they've suffered because the relationship you build over Zoom just isn't the same as if you, you know, as when like one in-person meeting where you can establish rapport and trust, I think counts for at least five to 10 Zoom meetings, right? (laughs) So there's just, there's nothing you can, like, it's just really amazing to me, um, the stark contrast. So just the way God made us to connect in person has really, I think, been highlighted uh, in, in, you know, in the business world for me this, this season. I know that you guys um, have really had a passion over the last several years of pulling together peers of, of you, both in business and, and different families, to talk together, to collaborate together. Um, so just kind of segueing from what you just talked about, what has it been like for them? And also, what has it been like for you guys to try and continue those discussions and those relationships in the midst of all the uh, the, the restrictions? Well, I'll take that because it was something that, you know, has been a bit of a passion project for me for the last six, seven years, born out of a desire to learn collaboratively to provide each other with a sort of emotional support network. Um, So we, you know, I started thinking, hey, all these next generation business people, uh, we have a lot of resources available to us through different established networks to build knowledge and, and network on the business side. But there's nothing available for people who are just starting out on their journey philanthropically. And so then we started with one chapter first with about five core members. And the the premise was really to uh, give collaboratively, but uh, learn how to give, um, I guess, effectively. And so we will meet every other month to talk about a topic that's philanthropically minded, whether that's how to set up a um, a equivalent to a 501c3, you know, in Hong Kong, or just to learn about how to set metrics and KPIs for, for grantees. Um, and then once a year, we will travel together to somewhere outside of Hong Kong um, because, you know, the world's a big place and uh, there's many places around the region in Southeast Asia that that have a lot of need. And so we've traveled to Cambodia, Thailand, um, Guangzhou, Vietnam, and India together, to name a few. Then we'll put money together in a pot and um, decide how we want to uh, allocate that money. 
And so it's not the amount that really matters so much as the process. Um, we're really trying to aim to equip these next generation business owners with uh, the passion and also the know-how so that they can they can do what they want to do later once they take full control of the reins. You know, we, we've, we've actually had some really interesting AGMs where uh, we had the journey of generosity. We had the next steps, right? And it's been it's been a fantastic learning journey for for everyone. And the friendships that have grown out of this have, you know, been priceless. Jay Paul and I first came to Hong Kong and uh, and met y'all at a journey generosity. Take us back to that point. Just you know, in, in your own personal lives and in your marriage, what was the what was the takeaway from that journey of generosity? Yeah, Didi and myself, we both already had a, a spirit of giving, but maybe not that developed yet. So, no, for us, the, the first jog, the first journey of, journey of generosity was really um, a great eye-opener and a great yeah, realization of like, hey, there's so much more we can do. And I think it's more like a latent um, uh, desire to, to, to do more. But uh, this really gave us, um, yeah. Uh, a Kickstarter in that sense and um, allowed us to, uh, yeah, to do, start, start doing more. You know, I mentioned that one of the things that um, really for me needed to be part of the ethos of the next gen group is that there's no ulterior motives. There's no ulterior agendas. When we attended the jog, I noticed that um, that criteria was there, that, Jog also doesn't, you know, the, the organization doesn't ask you for anything. It's a pay it forward model. Um, you know, there's no, there's no tracking afterward exactly how, you know, you, you do, you do have an idea, but it, there's no conditional sort of requirement to attend the jog. And I like that it creates a space, uh, at least for me, where you feel like you can really listen to the message uh, without being on guard. And I know that one of your one of your early requests of me and Daryl was, hey, can we do this with people who are not Christians? Because you have people in your next generation groups who are of different faiths, or maybe they they don't ascribe to a faith. So so we developed that, right? We did a we did a version of the jog for them. And and I'd love to hear you just talk about some of your reflections on what it was like for them. And we also did that with the Next Steps Retreat, which now, by the way, we call that the Giving Plan Retreat. <laughs> it's got a new name. Um, and hopefully we're going to do some more stuff in the future. But I'd love to hear you reflect on how this message kind of is embodied in a multi-faith or faith-neutral context. Well, I think I think there's universal principles that um, you know, in the world that God has set and launched into motion. And whether you're a Christian or a believer or not, those principles apply. Like, you know, you you give and you receive more, right? It's just, I don't know, it's like a universal principle. And, and, and a lot of other um, faiths and religions also have elements of these principles. And most of the people in our, in our next gen group are not Christian. And we didn't want to be, um, you know, kind of like leaders that say, okay, you must be Christian to join this group, right? Because he accepted, God accepted us while we were still sinners, right? And so 
So I, I just, you know, sometimes see so much um, gold and goodness in, in people who are not yet believers, you know, and I didn't want, I don't, I personally didn't feel like, um, again, having them have any idea that there was an ulterior motive or an agenda to evangelize, right? Like for me, the purity and the sanctity of that is very important. And so we we were very grateful that um, <laughs> you guys developed something, you know, and and we were we were like the guinea pigs, right? So um, and it worked really well. That's well said. That's well said. And th- and thank y'all for for pushing us on that. Because that's that was part of the innovation, so uh, we we really appreciate that. I think last fall when I was there last with with y'all, you were still in the middle of um, uh, a little bit of an experiment of radical hospitality. Can you kind of you know tell tell people a little bit of that story and what what you know? Just yeah, sure, sure. Um, so you're right. We uh, tried to practice some radical health hospitality last year. Um, so we took in a, a foster child, basically. So um, we got a two and a half year old girl um, join our household for for just over six months. Um, there is a local NGO in Hong Kong in, in Hong Kong called uh, Mother's Choice. Um, they do great work among teenage moms and also um, uh, around fostering and adoption. And um, so, so yeah, we took on. Um, this idea with, oh, that would be great if we can maybe uh, do something like that. We all had cute ideas, of course. We thought it was going to be great and cozy and everything. Um, but yeah, then you get a terrible two in your house. And um, and and the thing is, a lot of kids that come from um, a fostering or adoption background, um, there has been some trauma in their lives. I mean, they were at one point uh, abandoned by their their mom and dad. Um, uh, the The... During the pregnancy, the mom may have been drinking, using drugs, etc. So, so it's all like kids from, from, from it's unknown, but it's also from lots of broken families. So, a lot of kids in in um, in, in fostering or adoption um, uh, circles, they they do have some form of trauma. So, yeah, the same for the little girl we uh, we got. You know, Harry and I had a real heart to open our home, so it wasn't just like we just got this child. We went through a rigorous nine month process leading up to the assignment and placement of this child in our home. We had social workers in our house, check for dangers, check our psychological background, check our criminal background. Um, and, and they asked us the need, I would like to say the need here in Hong Kong is great for foster uh, parenting. Um, and, and so we, we answered that call <laughs> and little did we know it would be one of the most challenging experiences of our lives, right? Because you, you romanticize it, you get seduced into thinking, oh, this is, um, you know, this beautiful thing we're doing and it's going to be like, Harry said, it's going to be so cozy and warm. Um, and then the reality of special needs parenting hit us sideways, uh, we don't have children of our own, so we had no real parenting experience, and we only had 24 hours um, between getting the call to picking her up. So it was a frantic scramble for practical things like a bed, you know, bottles, toothbrush, to- like we're like, what do we need? What do we need? And so the generosity of the community of Hong Kong, uh, especially the Hong Kong expat moms, uh, was so incredible. Like I had bags and bags of things show up at our front door, just from anonymous people who had gotten a WhatsApp or a Facebook post about our situation. 
Um, so that was really great. And then, you know, like Harry said, two months in, um, our foster child's nervous system sort of started regulating and all the dysregulation actually started coming out ironically, right? Because when you feel safe is when you're, you start to kind of come out of freeze and shutdown mode. And we were completely unprepared. Uh, we, you know, we didn't know what to do. She would hit us, um, hit our dog, right? Uh, it was just, it was just hard. And I think, Maybe the organization didn't do enough of a psychological screening on me because at some point I just like, I was just about to break down. So I actually sought psychological help. I think in God's grace, uh, this experience really taught me kind of um, how to love someone who is, you know, seems unlovable, right? And looking back now, I think more than almost a year um, since uh, she's she's left our home, that really because I was at the verge of breakdown, God met me there. I was able to get the resources and help that I need and uncover a lot of the unresolved trauma of my own childhood, of my own sort of upbringing that I would never have dared or been inspired to do. And so it's still a little bit raw. <laughs> it's still a little bit, you know, fresh, but I, I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have received God's healing. I think any other way. Well, thank you for, thanks for sharing that. I, uh, really appreciate your authenticity and transparency on that. We're like such amateurs compared to you, Daryl. Like I'll meet people who are like, oh, I, I, I adopted like three kids. I'm like, I can't even handle the foster kid, right? And I was a kindergarten teacher. I handled 15 of them at once. But, you know, you one comes in your house and, you know, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> God's grace, God's grace. But thanks, thanks for sharing that. I, I know it was has it, has not been easy. But thank you for. I mean, that's the whole part, right? Life is, life is risk, and risk is right. And I think that's yeah. what we're called to do is is step out in faith and and uh, and do that. So I, I think that's a beautiful part of your story. And I think as well, one of the things that that this reminds us, and and also just to remind our global audience, is that generosity can be messy. You know, it's not always peaches and milk and cream and roses and all that stuff. You know, it can be messy. So that's, uh, if you guys were to um, communicate um, the most freeing thing about living a generous life or, or generosity, how would you, how would you talk about that? Say, I guess, safety, right? Because... Um, the fear is that if we give too much away that, you know, we won't have enough or that if we give too radically that, you know, we'll be in a worse off spot and that we're not looking out for ourselves. Right. It's, it's just very human, I think, to think that. Um, and what I found is that there's um, safety in, in giving, there's security in giving because, um, somehow when, when you give, it comes back to you, and, but that takes a step of faith, right? You, you can't prove it empirically, um, you know, in everyone's, you know, like there, it's hard to design a study, right. That, that proves it. But I, I do think it's a universal sort of principle where, you know, if you walk out in generosity and you give, then there's, um, 
you you can rest secure that uh, you won't be impoverished. You know that there's always more coming back to you. It's hard, even you know, even you've you've tasted the fruit of that each time. Is still is still a a step of faith and a leap of faith, and it's a challenge. Yeah, and and this 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 abundance sounds counterintuitive, but but one of the things that that for us came out of the jobs was um, for us setting up a separate giving bank account. So um, we're kind of keeping track, but not really. But now we were like, okay, now we want to just pledge a certain percentage of of our income. And then you just notice you don't really miss it on a monthly basis. So it's it's that's the kind of the freedom of, of and the abundance that there is. But we just noticed this bank account starts just kind of increasing slowly, and and we're kind of behind in giving in that. Yeah, sense. So like okay, <laughs> like now it's like burning a hole. We gotta gotta get it needs to have velocity now. You know, like <laughs> I think it took a, a few sessions for us actually to take the action to to actually do it because the idea was early, but then yeah, there's some inertia, and daily life starts again because if you're on a retreat. It's all great. You're all inspired. You're all um, fully focused. And then, yeah, Monday morning hits and, yeah, you go back to work. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it, it took a few rounds for us to actually get it done. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's a freeing um, thing to do. Yeah. So so 2020 has to be one of the most unusual years <laughs> that we've ever lived through. What has been, what, what's brought you the most joy this year in terms of your giving? Is there a particular gift or experience that you've had this year that uh, you could share with us? Sure. Um, so yeah, we joined a couple of events where um, giving out just food packs. Um, another thing is um, recently there was a big initiative here um, to um, collect old iPads and old laptops for for kids to go back to school because um, school started here a few weeks ago just really with only um, e-learning, like home learning, basically. All the kids were at home. They were supposed to have a laptop or iPad. They um, So the government actually has um, a subsidy for the lowest income, but then there is this cutoff where if you're slightly above that, you don't get anything. Uh, there was a big initiative among the churches to um, ask people to um, look at home, look for some old devices that are still functional, uh, but may not be the latest model, but that's totally okay. And yeah, that's something um, when you see the photos of kids receiving it and having their own device, they can go on Zoom, they can go learn, meet their class classmates on, on Zoom. Um, yeah, that's great. That's just something you think, you feel like, okay, that's at least something tangible and practical and, and joyful. Joyful also on the university side mm. for me, we've gotten closer to the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and it's been a real joy to to get more and more embedded kind of with them in their system. That's great. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us a story of maybe something that's really hit close to home for you guys of generosity, either within your own home or within your community. Well, I guess it's been difficult for us to expand our family and we, you know, we're, we're, we're still, we're still grappling with God, you know, why that is like, you know, and, and for anyone who, who walks through um, the desert walk of, of infertility, it's, um, you know, it, it's hard, right? It's something that people don't talk about. And so we thought, Hey, like maybe our, you know, our calling is, is to, you know, kind of open our doors for, um, 
you know, these children who are in need, you know, and then, and then we did and this happens and we're like, we, it was just like such a horrible experience, you know? And, um, and, you know, we still, we still grapple with that. Like how, you know, how come, how come it was like that for us? And, and sometimes you just don't know the answer in, you know, sort of in the trenches or in the depths of the valley. But I can say now that um, this year, you know, in 2020, um, we've seen the fruit of, you know, kind of all that labor start to emerge, right? So we recently visited our foster child in her new home. Uh, she's moved on to a, a more long-term foster home, a wonderful, experienced and seasoned foster mother um, who's fostered for over 12 years. And we recently visited her and, you know, our hearts were a little bit uh, nervous because we do feel we abandoned her. Right. We didn't we didn't renew our contract. Um, you know, she she wanted to stay. She wanted us so much to be her forever parents. And we just didn't feel called to it. And when we went and saw her, the joy that she had for us was just so amazing and i i was just crying because um you know we think kind of we, we were kind of going in like the 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 younger prodigal son like oh she's gonna hate us we're gonna have to like give her gifts and make up for all the things we did <laughs> and she just accepted us and loved us and was so happy and yet so anchored in her new family and, and we just that that made it all worth it for us, that was the best gift just to see that it was not all for nothing, that we we provided a sort of crucial bridge and um, and that she's doing well and that she doesn't hate us. Like <laughs> She really loves us. So so that's been a real generous gift for us. Oh, what a beautiful my. story. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You guys, that is beautiful. Just beautiful. And Dee Dee and Harry, we thank you guys for joining on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Joyce. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Generosity Path podcast. Pay it forward by rating, sharing, and subscribing. To find out more about connecting your own passions and purpose with your giving, visit generositypath.org or engage in the conversation by following us on social media. Let's make the world a better place.